Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. It's 1.11 a.m. in a box full of ones and zeros on planet Mars. And you're listening to Night Call. Welcome to Night Call, a call-in show about our dystopian reality. My name is Emily Yoshida, and with me on the other line is... Molly Lambert, and we will be joined in the second half of the show by our special guest, Natasha Tiku, and also Tess will be jumping in then. But for now, it's just me and Emily. It's just us and our uh, new show, our new segment, Chat and Kratom. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, uh, this is my own night call to the, I actually considered doing a night call about this when I was going out, uh, traveling East, uh, from Los Angeles, because basically as soon as I got into the South and kind of parts of Texas as well, I I just noticed that Kratom was everywhere, kind of with the ubiquity that, um, CBD is in, you know, well, just about everywhere now too, but, um, definitely in California. Um, and I vaguely knew what it was, but I was sort of like, why, why is it, why is there so much here? Why does this feel like something that exists, uh, like kind of outside of the, uh, the coastal norms? Like you don't see Kratom necessarily in your smoke shops and your head shops in in California. And I don't know that that's because it's, we got Kratom. It's, it's, yeah, it's legal. It's there. It's just not pushed it's not it's not everywhere but yeah i've definitely seen it in the hollywood boulevard smoke shops okay. there are some big signs that say like we have kratom yeah can you tell me 
what Kratom is. Well, I I mean, I was actually thinking I should guinea pig and, and do it myself and report back, but I haven't gotten there yet. But um, I, I it was it was uh, moved to the top of my awareness again because my friend that I'm staying with here does use it. So I was like, oh my gosh, you have to tell me all about it. Um, and and the ba- the deal with kratom is that it's uh, it's a plant. It uh, and it kind of works with your brain in a similar way that opioids do. It it, it attaches to the same receptors um, and has an effect that a lot of people compare to. Um, opioids and a lot of people use it therefore to uh, self-medicate and get off of opioids for instance but there's like a lot of other uses for it there's um, people use it for all sorts of reasons I'm gonna just read off the Wikipedia Uh, Mitragania speciosa commonly known as kratom is a tropical evergreen tree in the coffee family native to Southeast Asia indigenous to Thailand Indonesia Malaysia Myanmar and Papua New Guinea where it has been used in traditional medicines since the 19th century. Kratom has opioid properties and stimulant-like properties. Yeah. That's to both worlds, baby. Makes (laughs) sense that it's related to coffee then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I think you know it's one of these things that there is actually... Everything that I've read about it, it says there's comparatively uh, little formal research done about it, which is sort of becomes this catch-22 when it comes to regulating it because there have been efforts to make it a Schedule One substance for years now um, that have not um, that have not gone through, but that would make it um, kind of on the same level as LSD, heroin, ecstasy, and uh, therefore also harder to research. Um, there's a lot of limitations on researching those substances. Um, by yeah, I guess the DEA said it has no legitimate medical use in 2013. Yeah. yeah. Clearly that's not true. Yeah. I mean, I think I, 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 there have been, um, I think 15 deaths linked to Kratom maybe this past decade. I'm not sure that the span of time, but it's, it's somewhat recent, um, which is, you know, pretty low and I'm not, but again, we don't really like the one thing that people do know is that it, uh, if it, even though it does create a, a sensation on some people that is like opioids, it does not, um, stop breathing. That's a, you know, a signature of an opioid overdose is, um, uh, people stop breathing, but, um, so you can basically, it, have you know i guess still get that um that same sensation without the risk with lower risk um the other other main risk that i saw was that there was a kratom link salmonella outbreak in 2018 uh so uh salmonella is a possible risk of kratom but also um of uh eating chicken so (laughs) there yeah there were like 199 cases of of kratom salmonella in 2018. So, you know, they, there's very little report of like lethality or danger or anything with this. And the the impression that I got, but I would like night callers who have uh firsthand or secondhand experience with it to give us a call at 1240-46 night. But my impression is that this feels like a lot like um a lot of other stuff we talked on the show uh when it comes to people finding solutions um, where healthcare is not um, coming, coming when, when you can't afford healthcare, when you can't, uh, when, when the healthcare system is not working for people, um, when doctors aren't equipped to uh, address certain concerns, um, 
this feels like another one of these. You're saying this is like a homegrown way that people are getting off opioids? Yeah, that that seems to be what a lot of uh, people have used it for in, in the various reports that I've read. And it makes sense. I mean, um, but yeah, I, I, it just, I was sort of, it felt very regional <laughs> to me. It felt like a thing that I started to see really pop up in, um, in these parts of the country that I had not spent much time in recently. So it, it felt, you know, I noticed it and I'm always interested in, um, regional drug use (laughs) uh (laughs) what is more popular and for what reasons um in different part of the parts of the country and i think i would wonder if in new england and a lot of places where there there have been huge opioid epidemics um if it's as prevalent there as well i mean obviously opioid uh abuses and 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 death has been all over the country but you know in the in the parts of the country where it's been particularly bad i wonder if that's um if it's popular there um, there's something really midwestern about being like we're going to grow a plant to treat it right well it's it it kind of it gives me vibes of salvia which is yeah, like totally. a very um i mean it, even though it's a totally different i think experience but just the drugs that are like not technically illegal Right, but also yeah. there's no research done on them because yeah. most of them are like entheogens for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Including Kratom, I guess, is used in some rituals. Yeah. But also used to just like keep people awake at work in factories, it says. Yeah, there's that part too. I mean, I'm I'm color me curious, you know. Maybe maybe next week. I think it's crazy that caffeine is legal. <laughs> right. As we I've were discussing more... on the beverage pod. Uh... Yeah, like I've had some of the most fucked up experiences of my life from having too much caffeine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've never really freaked out from like smoking too much pot, but I've definitely had like a panic attack from from caffeine, from coffee. We'll see. Everybody's, everybody's bodies Everyone's are different. different. Everyone's different. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'll see. I guess I'll see uh, what happens when I ride the green wave and yeah we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to be joined by natasha and tess and uh and dive into the world of unfriendly ai so stick with us hello night callers have you experienced any strange weather recently or any natural disasters in your lifetime that are uh meaningful to you or something you want to share with the show are you a storm chaser do you actively seek out natural disasters Are you Helen Hunt from Twister? Give us a night call at 1240-46-NIGHT or a night email at nightcallpodcast at gmail.com. Share your experiences with us. We're getting ready to dive into some uh, scary weather territory. So, yeah, let us know what kinds of storms and earthquakes and hurricanes you've been in. Things are weirder than ever, and we want to hear about it from you. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Welcome back to Night Call. We are now joined by our special guest, Natasha Tiku. Natasha is the tech culture reporter for Washington Post and the paper's San Francisco Bureau. She's been covering tech for more than a decade. She's been at Wired, BuzzFeed News, The Verge, Valley Wag, among others. Hello, Natasha. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm so excited for you to be here. We have a uh, night email that is, I feel like, right up your alley. Hi, Night Call. Relatively new listener here, catching up on some recent episodes, and I wanted to add to the discussion you've been having on Elon Musk, AI, and fascist imaginings of the future. There's an article from 2017 about a movement in Silicon Valley called the Dark Enlightenment and its neo-reactionary followers that I think you would enjoy, which with a link that we will include in our show notes. The too-long-didn't-read version is that a group of neo-reactionaries believe that the singularity, quote, a vision of the future that anticipates artificial intelligence both surpassing the human mind and merging with it, end quote, is inevitable, that the resulting society will be ruled by a superintelligence AI, and that Elon Musk is using Neuralink to help build the tech to merge the human brain with his AI superintelligence and create an AI god-king. It involves transhumanism, fascism, and is as absurd as it is terrifying. 
Some of Silicon Valley's most influential people, including Musk and Peter Thiel, are associated with this movement's thinkers and true believers. Elon even found Grimes on Twitter because she made a joke about Rocco's basilisk. Anyway, I thought this article would be a good read because it deals with a lot of what you've been talking about on the pod with Meredith and amongst yourselves while putting a terrifying conspiratorial twist on it. When I first read the article, it felt like a conspiracy theory, but it's something I keep returning to over the years for its explanatory power. Big fan of the pod, and I hope you found this as interesting as I did. Thanks, Justin. This was quite an article. Um, it we will be linking to it. It's long and dense. It is a long read. But it's a great read. Um, yes. This is by Shuja Hader for Viewpoint Magazine. Yeah. The Dark Enlightenment. The Dark uh, Enlightenment. Or, or what is it? DRX? For Or no, 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 no. That's the neo-reactionaries are the are NRX. <laughs> yes. Like, of course, it has to have an extreme uh, abbreviation that sounds like an energy drink. <laughs> Um, it sounds like DXM, which is what yeah. people robotrip on. Um, Natasha, how long have you been following the Dark Enlightenment tech narrative? For about nine or ten years, actually. Wow. Um, back when I lived in New York and worked for Jared Kushner um, for the New York Observer, I had written a, a story for them about, um, you know, trying to find like a New York angle on um, this particular uh, ecosystem of, of people. And uh, so in the article, although I haven't had a chance to read that one, but but basically a central figure there is Eliezer Yudkowsky. Have you, you guys have talked about him on the pod? Or? We haven't talked about him on the pod. Okay. He's featured heavily in this Viewpoint article. Um, you know, so he's, yeah, he's a main character in the story. So, yeah. But if you want to explain who he is for our listeners. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so he is the author of Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. Um, I don't know if you guys know that, but it's a it's a what? it's a central text for um, for this movement. Um, it's kind of stems off of LessWrong.com, which is a forum that a lot of these people participate in. So at the time, their their group was called the Singularity Institute, not to be confused with Singularity University. They've since changed the name, I believe, because there was some money exchange. Um, uh -huh. uh, but now they're called um, MIRI. Uh, Machine Intelligence Research Institute. And that's where the Teal funding came in. And in fact, like, I think it's an incredible investment from Peter Teal because he only put in like maybe a million dollars for the first donation and then a couple hundred thousand after that. Like, they haven't received a ton of money. And yet, like, think about the like, the the return on investment in terms of being associated with futurism and yeah. enlightenment and contrarianism and and like uh, same with his seasteading investments it's actually very minor and since yeah. then um there has been a lot of other people like um uh the ethereum guy uh skype co-founders kazaa like you can look at um who has donated to them but but in any case they're they have a, actually a pretty simplistic argument um about unfriendly ai uh general you know artificial intelligence that um you know if you don't 
it's sort of like it's and it's really infected the effective altruism movement um so it's like if you don't do everything you can in your power right now to prevent unfriendly ai from from coming into existence unfriendly ai will will you know kill you and kill everyone and they'll have their revenge exactly like eliezer is the guy behind the um paperclip experiment just the idea that you know it just could happen you tell them to maximize for peace and the quickest way to pieces to kill all the humans um you know so so that's how all of humanity ends and ellie's are like not you know not a comment on his intelligence but he is a third grade dropout and like does not have a background in this stuff so right. it also causes a really big rift within the ai community like the google founders definitely do not appreciate um, you know, this, this, uh, this kind of very cinematic take on, on, um, on friendly AI. Sorry, I just went on a rant, but it's super fascinating, right? So the place I learned about the singularity was from the Ray Kurzweil books from the eighties, I believe, uh, which sort of put forth the idea of the singularity, the moment when AI will merge with human intellect or surpass it. Is that where a lot of this comes from originally? Yes. Ray is definitely a foundational thinker, although he doesn't get referenced, I think, that much anymore. But I mean, honestly, they talk about like the the members that I've met with do talk about like John Connor and Terminator to try to explain it to other people, although, you know, they've been warned against that. But it, it just it helps you understand. It helps you picture it. And and Google and every like they're they're anti this just because they've invested so much in like neural networks and the you know machine learning and all this and so you know they potentially are playing the role of Skynet here, which maybe is not a role they want to be perceived as playing, even if they are. <laughs> to give them a, a little credit, um, I think it's actually based on their own understanding of how neural nets work and how, um, you know, machine learning works. I think they're just saying like, that is not, um, it's just that like far fetched potential reality is just going to distract you from like the very real things that happen when you put in like bad data sets and, um, you know, you have a bunch of developers and um, uh, machine learning experts who don't think about the implications of their work. Like it's, it's like, you know, people have been talking about self-driving cars forever. Like the chances of a self-driving car almost as far off as, uh, or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of the things in this article um, that I thought was interesting because I'm less familiar with this kind of stuff, but uh, and I didn't even realize that this was a concern that people had. I'm quoting from the article, but r- this is Rocco's hypothesis, hy- hypothesis um, that AI may be, quote, or it may, quote, develop a survival instinct that it will apply retroactively. It will want to hasten its own birth by requisitioning human history to work towards its creation. In order to do this, it will institute an incentive that dictates how you will be treated after you come back to life. So is that kind of the center of this panic is that if we create machines that reach singular, you know, that if we reach the singularity point, that the machines will somehow like become angry at us and try to bring us back to life and torture us forever because that was alluded to in this article and I was like is that actually what Rocco's first post like 
connected to people's brains? Is that where their their minds went with that? Well, I feel like it's sort of this thing where it's like if you take rationalism far enough, you're just going to like be rationalizing away human beings. So like because there's nothing rational about human beings, like that feels like the crux of this. But then I think the thing that's funny about the Rocco's Basilisk thing is that it's like a cursed chain mail letter or something. It's like if you exactly. read this, then your brain is poisoned forever. And uh, now you are a part of the scheme uh, to bring about the unfriendly AI. <laughs> Or you have this moral responsibility to somehow coach AI to be beneficent, benevolent, or whatever, yeah. uh, and and that if you don't act, if you don't act on that, that they will be evil because now you know, and so you have some kind of an obligation to do that. Yeah, I mean, it honestly sounds so much like the white racists being afraid that when minorities have power, they'll come treat the white people like white people have been treating them all along. And that is something that I thought was interesting because it's like, what if they put as much money and time and thought into dealing with the racism issues that they have in tech as they do to dealing with like a potential unfriendly AI, which is a thing that doesn't exist, unlike racism, which does. Right. I think there's the like the two potential, um, you know, dreadful outcomes. One is the, um, you know, uh, sentient AI that that judges you for your actions. Then the other is that like paperclip factory example where, um, you know, just you put in an input to maximize one thing or the other and just like without even attributing human attributes to the to the machine it just destroys humanity because yeah. you didn't have enough people writing white papers and thinking about it. And, and the way that it's like, you know, become such a priority for the effective altruism movement is, is like, I think dovetails into exactly what you're saying, Molly, about like, um, so that's a move like money that potentially initially was fixated on how you can make the most impact on like the, you know, on poverty or, um, you know, global desperation in its many forms and is now prioritizing as one of the top issues, this um, eventuality potential. Yeah, no, I, uh, does anybody know who Rocco is, the person who kind of floated this idea to begin with that's become you know, that's had this much consequence financially for the tech world. Uh, does any, like, I didn't, I couldn't find anything about who this dude was. I forgot, but I think I looked it up when Grimes and Elon Musk got, because yeah. I just could not believe she, because it's forbidden right. from yeah. being discussed now. So I, maybe it's from Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm looking, it's named after... A legendary serpent creature from European mythology that killed oh, those yeah, who saw it. Oh, yeah, the basilisk it. is. I was just wondering oh. about Rocco. <laughs> yeah. The dude Rocco. The man Rocco. Rocco is obviously knows. the sentient robot from the future who created this to warn people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, the, I mean, you know, the pop cultural impl implications also of this idea are that it did bring Grimes and Elon Musk together to have their math baby. So, you know, it's the <laughs> far, the tendrils reach into all sectors of society and culture. Basilisks, by the way, Molly, are still popular pets. Those lizards. <laughs> They can walk on water. But the whole thing about the basilisk is it's a monster. The reason that they called it the Rocco's basilisk is that because it's a monster that 
you die if you look at it. Exactly. So that's the whole thing of if you are exposed to this theory about the unfriendly AI, then you are now a part of it. Right. Um, because the idea, we should clarify, the idea is that by putting that idea into the internet, by typing it onto the internet, the thing that the AI are supposedly going to be learning from you have now exposed them to this idea. And they're like, hey, great idea, human. When I'm smart enough, I'm going to destroy you if you didn't help me exist. Um, that's That kind of feels like the gist of it. I thought it was also a little bit that when you spread that idea among people, like they can't stop thinking about it. Like people yeah. were going, like yeah. the members yeah. of effective altruism or less wrong were like... Um, yeah, people just, were really, really losing it. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think so much time gets spent on theoretical problems like this when there are so many real problems in tech that you've been covering for a decade that seemingly have not gotten fixed or even really worked on? Well, it's a, I mean, it's an incredibly effective tactic. Um, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with data and society, but they um, have a bunch of researchers who do like great uh, work kind of tying historical discussion on automation with how things are going these days. I mean, it's it's just like as simple as, as it looks like you, you know, gesture over here and um, make it sound, make the future sound inevitable, right? Like if self-driving cars are inevitable, then you don't need to worry about people, um, you know, complaining about this or that. Um, and it makes it seem the fight seem futile like it just distracts you i mean this is also how like companies work with ipos you know it's or or whatever like the stock like public companies with the stock market it's just always the next thing like yeah we work is looking at co-living and then yeah i don't know what they're looking at like wave pools that's actually a real one um I was going to say in spaceships, um, you know, or Elon Musk looking at Mars when, you know, what they're doing right now is uh, war cheaper work that has already been accomplished. So yeah. if you think that, like, eventually this planet is going to blow, um, then, of course, why would you worry about the piddling concerns of those who won't even end up on Mars? Yeah. And it's probably cheaper to, like, Elon Musk has so enough power that he could, you know create a green economy probably more or less single-handedly <laughs> if you wanted to that might prevent our need to go to mars what uh, is your what's the pod's like unifying theory on elon musk like that that we hate him <laughs> <laughs> right um we're not into it uh <laughs> and and i think in general the the in particular the mars thing feels pretty um pretty dark you know. Well, it's like super colonialism from somebody whose money all comes from apartheid. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally believe Azalea Banks, who said that uh, people who want to colonize Mars are planning to do it entirely with robots and leave all the humans behind, except for the God King humans who will get right. to go to Mars. Yes, I know. Sometimes I've been I've been trying to think about like a, a you know, a, a good sci fi plot for landing on Mars with Elon and it's just so absurdist. Yeah. But but I, I, I do think he's like it did you guys read Ashley Vance's um biography of him? No, no. He's just like an incredible salesperson and he knows like the narrative arc that they have perfected. Like multiple times in in the book, 
you know, he tries to refer back to like, I was interested in space when I was eight years old. Like these are the, this is how the trope goes, you know, like some outlandish thing. And he also is frequently talking about how he sleeps under his desk. And, you know, from, for, from all of his employees who've been overworked and super stressed, like, I'm sure, I don't doubt that, but it's part of this narrative. Like, if you look him up on Quora, the, all the questions are about, like, how can I be like Elon and emulate this, like, non-sleeping, hardworking lifestyle? But, you know, and when he meets his actress, his second wife, actress wife, Tallulah, um, in the book, he's like, I was, I hadn't taken a vacation in years and I was so sick, but my friends, they forced me to go to this club. And then I was at this club and I met this actress and I was, I was basically forced to like pursue this actress. For t- it's just like how, like these, right. he knows what he's supposed his, to say. Yeah. It's like this turbo Steve Jobs origin story. It's like, you know, the the romance of the garage, like, you know, times 20 and um, just kind of made 100% more toxic. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't really thought about this before, but I think like maybe like Steve Jobs is good at consumers. I feel like Elon yeah. does this to have his workers yes. and to have yeah. like direct money to certain areas and interest in things. And yeah, that was an, a really interesting distinction that's made in this um, in this Viewpoint article and mm. um, I'm sure other people have made as well is that there's been this shift in Silicon Valley culture and I'm not saying that like one is necessarily more virtuous than the other, but this consumer facing um, kind of mindset, like you're kind of the, the previous generation, your Steve Jobs and your, um, uh, yeah, all, all that, that era. And then um, this sort of current era, which is sort of more techno-feudal, much more interested in um, kind of creating empires than necessarily creating a product for consumers. Um, like the product for consumers is sort of incidental to creating these sort of factions, these sort of like mini empires, which is... Yes. Um, yeah, that really uh, clarified a lot because that's there's definitely a shift in how like when a company like Uber or Lyft says that the drivers are not their employees, um, which is a big part of some big news that happened in California this past week. Um, that is part of that, you know, that's that's part of the new tech culture that we have now. Yeah, and I think part of the thing about Elon sleeping under the desk and this whole uh, you know, origin story of tech where everybody is like, I gave up my entire life to build this thing. And, you know, I worked on it so much. But you see that in all kinds of industries where, a f- you know, the founder or CEO, especially in like startup culture, will be like, I'm the first person here and the last person out. Like, therefore, nobody else can work less hard than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for Elon, I think it's especially interesting given that his... Um, early companies were just software companies. Um, his first one was like quasi a, like a media guide company or something. And then, um, but I, I think like that romanticization of somebody who's gone from like just code and like n- not that inventive to hardware to, you know, like um, the kind, the most difficult kind of hardware just makes him such, um, I mean, I think like the cultish implications of, <laughs> right. everything uh we've been talking about are, yeah. are tied together because like pre-tesla and pre-spacex it's not like this is somebody who has some singular vision um it seems really scattered paypal's not a singular vision <laughs> well yeah these are yeah these are like little they're 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 bits of code they're they're yeah that's software it's not 
it's not like something like the Mac or something like that or Windows even. It's it's uh, pretty, it feels like it's all stepping stones that each individual product or service is not necessarily the thing that's going to be the legacy. It's more just like amassing power and going on to the next thing. And yeah, and just progress, progress and scare quotes for progress's sake, um, going, going to the moon for the sake of going to the moon because it's more active than investing in um, yeah. our planet. <laughs> it's like fetishizing empire, like yeah. the growth, yeah. you know, the growth, which is like, um, you know, uh, enforced by the stock market, by investors, everything just becomes the, um, like the, the, the end in itself. And I think that is because they, like a lot of these people do think of themselves as having good intentions and a and a smarter, better vision for the way the world should be. So if you use that argument and reverse back, it's like, yes, the end goal of Jeff Bezos should be to, you know, uh, just have the biggest empire possible. And then at some point he'll switch to, you know, benevolent mode and... and uh, <laughs> benevolent mode. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, I mean, that's like a weird side note of the... Roko's basilisk thing is that it starts with this like it starts with this argument about um about altruism and creating this uh potential solve for the altruist um the altruist burden <laughs> the altruist see when you start with a phrase like altruist burden you know it's just like not going anywhere useful but the the the, the solve is the quantum billionaire trick which is basically like um, you become a billionaire via many worlds and uh, then you can solve the world's problem. That's the most effective way to solve the world's problems. Like you invest some money and then there's like one universe in which you end up with, you know, $300 million or whatever. You can do whatever you want with it to help the world. And so that's the most powerful thing you can do in this world <laughs> to help other people. It just made me so angry. <laughs> As we approach the fall season... It's the perfect time to share your ghost stories with Night Call. Please leave us a Night Call at 240-46-NIGHT or a night email at nightcallpodcast at gmail.com with all of your tales of the supernatural, the spooky, and just the mundanely weird. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You wrote a great thing this week about the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative and how sort of the philanthropy arm of these tech companies and tech billionaires really doesn't compute with their own personal choices uh, as business people. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So um, so the article was looking at what's been going on inside the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative over the past few uh, months and years. Um, so the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative is a, a limited liability company, not a foundation, not a nonprofit, which means that, um, so so Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Priscilla Chan, who's a pediatrician, they have pledged 99% of their Facebook stock to go into that. But because it's not a foundation, that doesn't mean the money has been committed. It also means they're allowed to make um, investments in uh, for-profit companies and allowed to do political advocacy. So when they announced this, which was like with the birth of their first daughter, it was like this um, letter to their to their daughter about um, about uh, wanting to think long term, and uh, the focus at the time was on science. So it was like cure all disease in your lifetime, and the biggest issues facing um, the next generation. Um, many people, including myself, were very skeptical about like how are they going to exercise this political power? There's much less transparency, um, and uh, you know, investing in for-profit companies and. I, the problems that have manifested itself recently, it just shows you, you know, you, can't, you sometimes you just can't even anticipate the, the right problem because um, unlike Bill Gates, say, who like stepped away, not 
he was still on Microsoft's board actually up until earlier this year, but mm -hmm. he stepped away from the CEO jobs. Like, so Zuckerberg is in this position. Now they are the largest, one of the largest funders in the U.S. of criminal justice reform. And through mm -hmm. their investments in forward.us, uh, which um, worked a lot on like DACA and with Dreamers, um, they are also one of the biggest funders of immigration reform in the U.S. So mm -hmm. uh, what happened this summer is that the black employees at uh, CZI, um, their group is called Building Leadership and Knowledge, uh, BLK, they saw Facebook's decision to leave up that Trump shooting and looting post. Um, and then they saw their comments on Black Lives Matters, and they decided to write a letter to Priscilla Chan, who actually runs the day-to-day, -to, -day, to articulate this kind of like it's a much more sophisticated diversity problem than what's happening at most tech companies or the level of discussion because they're working on criminal justice reform. They have a whole section called justice and opportunity that's focused on housing, criminal justice reform, immigration, um, movement and capacity building. And what they were saying is we've been asking you for years to prioritize racial equity. So obviously there's various ways to, to define it, but what they mean is like really looking at, you know, these are progressive causes in and of themselves. No one is saying that, you know, like the end goal is is different. But if you don't look at how, you know, who are the organizations who are receiving this funding? Mm -hmm. How is this impacting communities? Especially because their work in places like criminal justice reform has focused, as most corporate philanthropy has, on um, clean slate initiatives. Mm -hmm. So that's like expunging records, um, which has gotten a ton of bipartisan support, like Center for American Progress is on it. Um, so are the Koch brothers. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, it's just more momentum and cohesion across the spectrum than most things. But like, you know, there's a chance that it could only it could be easier to obtain for white prisoners or you know there's mm -hmm. just so many mm -hmm. like if you don't look at those implications the fact that you're one of the biggest funders is is not going to mean anything and they were saying that the same thing has happened to them within czi like they're not promoted at the same rate right they're not listened to they were hired for their expertise in these areas and the fact that they work closely with these communities um and they're not being you know their their wisdom their lived experience is not being prioritized or respected and I mean just like the layers of irony are just it's just it's too much like because yeah. at the same time um organizations like color of change and the NAACP they like they had just been in the news talking about and I feel like that the critiques have gotten extremely precise and and really strong about Mark Zuckerberg which is like no one is trying to say that it's your perception of yourself as good intentioned is is the problem here like yeah. you don't recognize your own blind spots on yeah. these issues and part of it is just like pressure from the right because you are trying to maintain your empire so you have to and you're under attack from the left and the right so but part of it is choices you choose to listen to the conservative critique um yeah. you know more than anything uh let's see what happens if you know, the administration changes, but they're saying that, you know, you're going for these bipartisan initiatives. Um, and they talked about like, it, not so much in the letter, but in my conversations with, um, with employees and current and past, they were talking about like, 
your desire to appear equal is disproportionately hurting yeah. black leaders and, yeah. and, and black, so black led solutions. And this is, it's just like echoed what I've heard from Facebook employees, what I've heard from everyone. And the irony of one of the biggest funders of this movement being in control also of what threats get amplified against totally. black lives matters yeah. to billions of people. is just, it's too much power. I mean, it's a lot of power. It's like, I, I think it's just so apparent when you look at these huge companies and you look at a Google or a Facebook, they all have, you know, like, or alphabet, I guess, where you have all these little projects. And like, sometimes if you look at it at face value, you're like, what does this have to do with, you know, forwarding the Google agenda or something. But then you look, there's always a threat. There's always some reason, whether it's just data gathering, data harvesting, um, or it's usually that, but like, you know, um, there's always some way you can connect it back to like, okay, this is how this helps them. They're not just giving you free books on Google books because it's a nice thing to do. There's always some kind of um, agenda behind it. And I think it's always so parent when you see the philanth uh, the philanthropic efforts of any of these companies that they don't have that connective tissue to what the um like they 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 are completely not uh cohering or a part of the same conversation as what the rest of the company is about um in a way that you know a allows there to be these huge discrepancies between what where they put their money and where they you know do their good deeds it's like a completely it's unlike unlike an alphabet where you have all these like it's not a part of a, net, a network of activities in the same way that you know any number of uh facebook initiatives could be like you know creating messenger or whatever um right it's almost like a a uh, like a countervailing force to the work that they do. Like I, I just, um, I, I just find it so interesting, like the work in science versus the amount of misinformation spread on Facebook, the work in education versus, you know, the impact on um, information, access to information and, and, and news gathering and, um, you know, with justice and opportunity, um, that also has like they're working in housing. Uh, you know, Facebook has been sued by HUD. You know, for for um, for discriminatory ads. Um, you know, not like redlining when it comes to what housing ads are served to uh, black users. It's so. It's just crazy to me because like when people thought that Zuckerberg was going to run for office. I just like kept, I just, you know, people have some idea about his personal beliefs or the personal beliefs of Google's founders. And when your main existential threat is like empire maintenance, you yeah. can't, your personal beliefs do not matter. And yeah. it's honestly so, I think it's one of the most um, like dangerous forces, this, this faith in yourself as a good person yeah. and feeling like you're like, imagine these discussions, you know, if it's like giving books to like Chromebooks or whatever, like books, books, um, you know, if you're inside Google and you're like, well, we know that we care and, yeah. you know, we trust yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Like you just, and, and they don't kind of see maybe the irony in the fact that they have the power to make these seemingly man magnanimous gestures because they've siphoned from, you know, X, Y, and Z. And that's where I think also the Zuckerberg, um, uh, 
like we thought the problem was going to be he's going to impose his personal beliefs, but the problem is that yeah. he's imposing and advocating for it appears that he's imposing and advocating for beliefs based on what will allow Facebook to continue for yeah. the next 20 years. I don't know right. that he has any personal beliefs, and that's kind of the problem. Like that, and the idea that. I mean, I, I, this this thing feels like a really fundamental difference between running a country versus running a company um, and trying to run a country like a company, say, is that um, there's no policy in the same way in a, in a company that there is in a country like or in a, in a government, in a functional government. Like you're not you have to make those um, those fail safes for um, human human uh failure and human <laughs> error uh y- you know in a in a at least in a functional society like you have to have those things but in a company everything is a, if you're a part of the company then you're a part of the the activities that 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 uh create wealth for that company so uh you don't need to be questioned in the same way there it, there's not it is assumed that you are on the team well also i think you know you can have good beliefs but you can also really maintain the idea that the only way to achieve any good is to hang on so tightly to your power and your empire that you can achieve it. And that kind of also ties back to the article that we were discussing, because if you feel a moral responsibility to be able to have that much power because you do feel like your vision is aligned with something good, then you also probably feel a moral, moral responsibility to increase your profits, to have more money, to do good things. But then as Natalia pointed out it's at the expense of people who are already marginalized and already yeah. saying like hey it, you know we're being left out of this um it's so complicated i mean everyone's always so hard on zuckerberg and we are definitely quite hard on zuckerberg on this podcast but i think it's worth mentioning that it, i mean it is complicated like it is very complicated and it's I not think good but what you were saying too about blind spots it's like you know, an actually smart person would be aware that they have blind spots, but because of the sort of emperor, god, king of Dune way that tech situates itself around these personalities and has these sort of cults of personality, they don't listen to the people that are pointing out the blind spots. And something I thought was really interesting as a shift, because I do feel like it's like they think about the optics, they make sure that there are like some black people at the company, but then they don't empower the black employees. And it just creates like an endless loop. But the thing you wrote about Pinterest, where they were doing some sort of front facing, like, we're making it more diverse. And we're going to like work on racial equality. And like, we love BLM. And we're not going to have plantations on the boards anymore. And then you profiled a couple of black employees of Pinterest, who were like, Pinterest has a huge race problem. Um, and they're not really doing anything about it except these sort of superficial Mickey Mouse, you know, look what we're doing to fix racism. Right. So um, Ife Oma and Erica both worked in public policy and they were responsible for all of these things that Pinterest had been doing that looked so progressive, such as, um, you know, uh, stopping the ads that were placed on plantation wedding content, um, stopping the spread of health misinformation, and actually, uh, you know, what was the one of the catalysts for their decision to speak out was the fact that their uh, internal documents had been leaked to um, Project Veritas about their efforts to 
get Ben Shapiro designated a white supremacist. And they weren't even saying like, take his content off, but they were warning that this is going to become an issue. And, you know, you need to, to put a, a warning on that. And so the, again, like the irony is just, it's too much because yeah. the, the fact that that is what led them to realize the company does not support them. They ended up having to, they warned the company that, you know, Hey, if you have project Veritas going after you, this means like something has been breached. Um, they're going to come after the, you know, women and uh, like minority employees. This is, they have a pattern of doing it and they wouldn't, they didn't take them seriously. They had to pay for the organizations that they work for to get health misinformation content. They had to pay them to, to look out for them being doxxed and they were doxxed. And, um, and then Pinterest hired that company. It's called Storyful Mm -hmm. and had them look into is Ben Shapiro really a white supremacist? And, and (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see, I did not see that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I didn't see the conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like they have people telling them the information that they need to know and they're just not listening. Uh, And that seems to be the problem across the board at all kinds of companies. Yep. Yeah, that actually happened at Facebook as well. It was, um, they only had one black executive in the room when they decided to um, uh, make the decision about Trump's shooting and looting post. That is the, uh, like their global head of diversity who's been working at the company for seven years. Everybody's been telling them that she should be reporting to Zuckerberg. They just only promoted her to report to Sheryl Sandberg. And the black employees inside Facebook were also trying to explain to him like how these dog whistles work, how, you know, so, so uh, it's just, it's just the same story everywhere. And it's been the same story. Like it's been, yeah, such an opportunity because now people are sort of willing to talk more about it on the record because they see how their, um, you know, the, their employers' decisions are making real-world impact, and they have a little bit of a buffer with everything that's been happening for their own like safety and jobs. And yeah. um, but they've been talking. I mean, I've just is just the same thing for forever. Yeah, and I think this mirrors a lot of the stuff, especially you know having the information told to you and not doing anything about it because at the end of the day, you're not that interested in learning or changing or admitting that you've done anything that wasn't helpful or constructive. Like that feels like that happens in every sector that happens in journalism. That's been the basis of a lot of recent uh, dust-ups that have happened in in, in journalism and editorial and everything. Uh, It's just that when you're talking about a company and like, I don't know, I like Pinterest feels more on the level of like, a Condé Nast or something. But like when you're talking about Facebook, when you're talking about um, a company that has really unjudiciously gotten itself um, mixed up in all of these different uh, aspects of American life, uh, then, you know, the, the, the unwillingness to learn becomes even more of a hazard. I also think the like free speech obsession, which for these kind of straight white guys that are in charge of these companies manifests is like, well, we can't, We can't tamp down any kind of speech. We just have to see what happens. And what happens is like it goes towards fascism. But there's this like anti-interventionist attitude of like, well, if it wants to go towards fascism, like that's where it wants to go. And we just have to let it, you know. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not even anti, I mean, I would say that it, it appears that it's not even anti-interventionist so much as like anti-paying for the labor to uh, to intervene. Like if you look at Zuckerberg's founding letter, uh, you know, which they put out when they go public or Google's, they don't say anything about free speech. Um, right. You know, early books on Zuckerberg, they don't talk about free speech. Um, and recently there was some amazing reporting in the journal and NBC news, Olivia Solon, um, about how their own researchers, Facebook's own researchers found that their moderation policies were, um, taking down more content from black users where like, <laughs> you know, and, and they told them to stop researching it. So wow. it's just like, obviously there's hypocrisy everywhere, but it just really does not hold up and that is one of the blind spots like the the idea that um you know free like the kind of free speech you're concerned about protecting is somebody who has this massive platform right and it's like you know uh, zuckerberg's own employees at czi this is from uh first reported by um by recode uh but one of the employees at CZI was like, you should resign from Facebook or resign from CZI. Um, and, you know, he laughed it off and was like, that's ridiculous. Of course not. And brought up free speech. And they said, well, like, what about the free speech of the protesters? They're dead. When they're dead, they can't talk. Like, it sounds, you know, it's just like fighting with this yeah. massive myopia. Yeah, but when you don't think you're going to die when death isn't a factor for you, then what do you care about other people's lives? Uh, yeah. You'll be on Mars. <laughs> you'll yeah, be yeah. Your... You'll be a robot. You'll be in a box on Mars. You'll uh, have a robot dick. <laughs> what else? <laughs> Number matters? one priority: get the robot dick. Um, Somebody allegedly already has one. Oh, oh. who runs a company called who. SpaceX? <laughs> um, Natasha, thank you so much for joining us. We are all such huge fans of your work, and I really look up to you for you know tirelessly covering this thing that seems very soul killing to yeah. uh, look at in depth all the time. No, um, we're lucky to have your eyes on it. Um, yeah, you're doing yes. a great public good. So. Thank you so nice. much, Natasha. So people can find you at the Washington Post. You're also on Twitter at Natasha Tiku, N-I-T-A-S-H-A-T-I-K-U. Is there any uh, anywhere else that you can point people or is that or anything recent you want to you want to hype that you wrote that I want to hype that I wrote. <laughs> you don't have um, to answer that if you don't want <laughs> no no but go read this NBC investigation um about them telling researchers not to look into uh not to look into how Facebook's moderation policies are disproportionately impacting black people it's got a lot of good stuff perfect will you send us a link that we can yeah. in our show notes perfect thank you so much Natasha this was thanks awesome thanks for having me guys Bye. please come back sometime yeah for sure <laughs> stay cool thank you so much for listening to Night Call you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts leave us a review and a rating while you're at it as long as it's nice uh, you can also follow us on social media we're on Twitter at Night Call Pod and Instagram and Facebook at Night Call Podcast and you can support us on Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash nightcall where you can get bonus episodes, our monthly newsletter, merch, and all sorts of fun stuff. So check us out there and we will see you all next week. Bye-bye.
This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.